Hi, everyone. My name is Chad Nitschke, co-founder and CEO of Bunker, and also host of this podcast, Ready, Set, Work. Ready, Set, Work is a podcast series focused on the future of work, specifically highlighting all different perspectives from the gig economy to on-demand platforms and more. Join us each episode to hear from thought leaders paving the way toward the future of work. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready, Set, Work. We're here today with Adam Roseman, co-founder and CEO of Steady. Thanks, Adam, for being here. We're excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I thought before we dive into some of the questions, um, I know you and I actually met for the first time, I think it was a couple months ago. Um, you were in the final stages of closing your recent fundraising round. And uh, congrats on that milestone, uh, by the way. Um, and Thank we you. learned... Yeah, we learned that we actually share a couple investors, Omidyar and Clock Tower Ventures, I believe, are the two. And um, I'm, I'm really curious. So one investor that we don't share is uh, Shaquille O'Neal or uh, Shaq, who I noticed when I read your press release is an investor in Steady. And I'm definitely curious. And I think our listeners would love to hear just more about that as well. Um, you know, how do you know Shaq and how did he become an investor in Steady? Sure, sure. No problem. Well, we're, we're certainly... Glad to have him, and uh, this is audio, not not video. And if you had video, you would see I'm I'm typically not dwarfed. I'm a fa fairly large individual, but uh, you know I'm glad to have one of our shareholders who was able to dwarf me. Um, so I've I've known Shatil now for uh, about five years. Um, dealt with him in my last business, which uh, you know had a media component to it, in particular relative to China, and so had the chance to spend uh, you know a pretty good amount of time with him. Uh, in China, in fact, uh, over the course of, of several years, um, he was quite active there from a brand partnership perspective. And um, uh, when I uh, worked on on getting steady off the ground, uh, you know, was in the same town as, as Shaquille's management team and went in just to say hello, um, just because we had been friendly. Um, they inquired about what I was doing next and told them about steady. And the first thing they responded with was, this is amazing. We need to get Shaquille on the phone um, because he is going to love what you're doing. Um, and so, you know, they put Shaquille on FaceTime, told him about what we're doing. And his response was, you know, uh, exactly in the line of, you know, I, uh, I see what's going on in the U.S. I'm, I'm troubled by it from the standpoint of the challenges that, um, you know, a large part of the population is facing now as a result of the sort of changing environment where people are having to, you know, work more than one job. Um, I see it, you know, at home with friends and family members, um, and you know, I want to be a part of this because I want to be bring awareness to this topic, um, and I want uh, I want people to understand that there is someone who's there to you know try to help help make things better. So um, that's how it all came about, and um, he committed to doing a very significant amount of work for us over the course of a couple of years, which you know, people will start seeing here soon. Um, and uh, didn't want a penny from us. He just wanted to be able to participate um, and uh, be a shareholder and uh, you know sort of benefit from you know the growth that uh, we all hope that we'll will achieve. So um, it's exciting to have him. Um, we'll be with him again in a few days in LA uh, doing a bunch of filming and you know the thing that he is absolutely wonderful with is sitting with folks and you know talking to them about their lives and challenges they're facing and, um, you know, really being a, a sounding board um, and just making people feel welcome. So it's it's always fun when we get to put them in that type of an environment, which we'll, we'll be doing next week. 
Yeah, that's amazing. No, thanks for sharing that story. It's definitely cool to hear about, you know, maybe a different side of uh, Shaquille that we, you know, like the public doesn't hear about that often. So that's, uh, that, that's really cool. So, and that's a really good segue, I think, into um, maybe just start off by telling us a little bit more about how Steady works and the gaps that it's filling in the gig economy. Sure. So, um, you know, we're, we're very excited about our mission um, and, you know, we are, are focused on helping individuals who um, either currently have more than one source of income or one job um, or those who are requiring a second source of income for one reason or another. It could be that they're a gig worker um, and uh, by choice or out of necessity work multiple gigs on a regular basis. It could be that they are uh, a part-time employee um, at, you know, it could be restaurant, could be retail, could be a logistics or distribution or healthcare services business um, where they're not getting sufficient hours. And so they're working either a, a second part-time job or doing gig work to supplement it. Um, or it could be, you know, individuals who we see quite often who have, you know, what we would define as full-time jobs. Uh, but for one reason or another, which could be that they're in a high cost living uh, metro or that they have other financial goals that are being unmet, such as retirement savings or saving for a down payment on a home. Um, as a result of that, they're having to supplement their full time work uh, with additional gig or part time work. So what Steady is, is set out to do is to help these individuals, um, which you know, obviously is, is a very large number of Americans. Now we can debate the number depending on whose research you want to believe. Um, but, uh, you know, we're focused on helping these individuals to optimize their, their income potential. Um, you know, in the near term, what the product does is it, it helps you figure out what is the best supplemental work for you, um, enables you to be able to track your income. And uh, as we're tracking your income, able to see and uh, based on the, you know, income trajectory in certain instances, volatility, be able to identify and better curate for you income opportunities that are going to align with what we're seeing uh, in terms of your, your current earnings trends. And then as we carry forward, you know, the, the mission of the business is to help you be able to define your overall portfolio of work. So that could eventually become replacing certain work uh, that make up a portion of your income pie with other components, or it could be to the extent that there's a full-time job that you're currently not in that becomes available that's a great fit for you and aligns with your goals because you require benefits or something else that's not going to be able to be provided through your, um, through your current part-time or gig work. We're going to suggest that, uh, that you move into that. So, you know, our, our mission is really on being the income advocate for participants in this sort of broadly defined future of work. That's great. No, it's definitely an inspiring uh, mission. And I'm, I'm curious, what, um, what was the inspiration behind you wanting to, to solve this problem? Yeah, so there were, there were a number of factors. Um, the first is that, um, you know, our, uh, our seed investor and chairman, Michael Loeb in New York, who I've been working with for uh, quite some time, over a dozen years now, you know, we, we've always sort of focused together on, you know, uh, building quote unquote double bottom line businesses, businesses that, you know, hopefully uh, would scale, but also had uh, a social mission behind them. So, um, you know, we, we started digging into a variety of stats um, and the two that really stood out to us were, you know, first off, looking at the McKinsey reports around the future of work and, you know, the roughly 70 million Americans uh, today. Um, that you know sort of fit into this broadly defined future of work definition um, combined with you know the roughly 70 plus million Americans who have at least one consumer debt in collection and then marrying that up against you know uh, wage increases where you have you know one percent median increase in real household income um, in the US since 2000 
um, and you have you know significant double-digit increases in you know other major cost of living items such as you know housing, education, and healthcare services. And we looked at all of that as a whole and said, okay, there's there's wonderful businesses that are out there today, PFM tools and and uh, you know in, inclusive fintech platforms that are providing for you know better access to credit um, for individuals that are in this future of work definition. Um, helping them to identify savings that they may be able to enact, you know, whether it be limiting an unnecessary expense or finding a cheaper alternative. Uh, but you know, the real problem from our perspective that was being um, that wasn't being tackled was income, um, and how do you take that existing income pie and actually make it bigger? And then it sort of hit home in that I started thinking about my father, and my my father is a 71 year old retiree in Savannah, Georgia, lived the majority of his life in Sacramento, California. And, uh, you know, no college education. Um, he had worked in a restaurant uh, the majority of his, his life. Um, retired to Savannah with insufficient retirement income and, um, you know, was sort of working to make ends meet by working in retail, um, not getting enough hours. And, um, you know, one of the early sort of test cases was to, you know, give my dad access to um, other types of work he didn't know about. So a couple of different gig platforms that would supplement his hours he was getting in retail. It ended up being that he loved it, and he was able to get sufficient hours and generate sufficient income to, to fund his retirement, and he loved the diversification of not just doing one thing and being able to get out and move around and stay active. Um, and that sort of, you know, I think set us off on, on our current trajectory. So I'd, I'd say those are the, the main factors that led us to, to, to be moving in this direction, and we couldn't be more excited about it. That's great. So your dad was essentially like patient zero. He was one of the first users of uh, Steady. He was absolutely patient zero. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, and you uh, made a quote that I really liked, and it kind of hung on uh, me for a bit, which was the double bottom line. And uh, just so I understand yeah. that, that that's referring to both kind of the economic value, but then also the, the 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 social impact. Is that right? That's exactly right. Cool. Yeah, I really like that. I'm definitely going to reuse that if that's okay. I like it. <laughs> of course. I didn't make it up. I won't take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, cool. So um, one other question. So you have, I think, a really unique perspective, um, you know, as, as a platform who works with independent contractors, but it sounds like also with W-2 employees who are working multiple part-time mm -hmm. jobs. And I think you kind of look at it as maybe agnostic just from an income perspective. And that's probably how the worker looks at it, right, is more from just an income perspective. And uh, I'm curious, just from your unique vantage point, how do you see that, you know, kind of W-2 part-time and contingent work intersecting? Um, and I guess, what does that future of work look like to you when you think about those two kind of components, W-2 part-time versus contingent work? Sure. So I, I am a big believer that the lines are going to blur over time. And, um, you know, I think one of the most obvious examples of that is if you look at how people are actually working. Okay. So today, let's just say you're a part-time worker at Walmart or, or at Home Depot. Um, you work there. Uh, there's no sort of minimum threshold of hours that you really need to work uh, because they're, you know, they always have a challenging time sort of filling shifts. Um, and, you know, depending on which brand of retail you're working for, every couple of weeks you have the ability to log on uh, to the scheduling platform, um, whether it be Kronos or others. And you grab the shifts that you want to work um, until they fill up. And then once they fill up, they, then you have to pick other shifts. And um, you go and you work in a retail environment um, based on the shifts that you selected. And then you sort of flip that over to someone like an Instacart. 
Um, you're working for Instacart, which we all consider to be a good platform. What do you do when you're working for Instacart? Well, every week or two, depending on your geo, you go on to Instacart when the shifts open, you book your shifts, um, and then you go and you show up at a retail environment. And so the, the app was your initial entry point into Instacart, but the mechanism of work is really no different. And so from our perspective, you know, there, there is absolutely no doubt that the lines are going to continue to blur. You know, I am not an expert by any means in terms of sort of the legal ramifications or challenges associated with that blur, be it, you know, a W-2 uh, or contract worker. You know, the way that our workers look at it, as you talked about it, yes, it's very much income centric, but all, all of them also understand that, you know, when you are a, a 1099 or contract worker, there's going to be additional things that you need to think about, such as, you know, taxes and, uh, and insurance and, and other things that may not be provided to you that you're going to be able to achieve through W-2. But they're, they're, from our perspective, just given that, you know, you have sort of technology first gig platforms that are creating an offline real world experience um, it combined with uh, you know offline physical presence real world experience first businesses um, that are becoming more and more technology enabled to enable them to match labor supply with demand and effectively uberize you know i think the lines between those two very distinct set of businesses in most people's minds are going to become very very narrow over the course of the next decade Yep. No, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I know at Bunker, you know, like we're a really, really small part of that. But one of the things that we talk about is kind of removing the barriers to talent. Um, you know, with, with Bunker, it's obviously insurance, but um, kind of what you described just made me think about that because, you know, from the worker's perspective, they just want to work, right? They just want to, whether it's a gig job, whether it's a contracting position, whether it's a W-2 position, like they ultimately want to work and earn income. And, um, I think it's our responsibility to kind of remove those barriers and help them uh, work. And it sounds like y you guys kind of think similarly about that. Oh, completely. And we, we view ourselves as one small piece of that as well. And obviously, you know, businesses like Bunker, you know, and others that uh, we would be excited to work with, uh, you know, fill different pieces of that. So we're, we're excited as well to be, to be a small piece of that overall solution. Yeah, and that's a good segue. So, um, you know, at Bunker, we talk quite a bit about, you know, ensuring the shifting workforce is ultimately a safe place for everyone and, and really a fair place for everyone. And I'm curious, kind of, in if you think about what your utopian future would look like, you know, for the gig economy or the future of work, um, you know, what, what would that look like? And maybe put your product hat on. So you're, you know, kind of a maker in this space. What do the workers on your platform um, ultimately want? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to talk a bit about this, but uh, you know we've got certain secret sauce that's in the works that uh, you know factors into it. So I may need to leave out just a little bit of the quote unquote utopian for the time being, at least. Uh, hopefully, be in a position to talk about that down the road, uh, given our early stage. But um, yeah, no, we 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 certainly think that um, there is there is a lot to be done. Um, and there is room for a lot of players um, that hopefully can work together um, to you know, create an optimal environment for workers in this very new uh, you know, world and environment that they are already facing. So from our perspective, you know, uh, speaking with workers, specifically when you're focused on income, which is the side of this equation I'm going to tackle um, in terms of the response to your question, you know, folks are looking, it's very difficult for them to understand when you have more than one puzzle piece that makes up your, your entire, you know, income puzzle, 
of what are those puzzle pieces, first off, like which are the appropriate ones? Secondarily, how do those fit together when you have you know, things like conflicting schedules? And then how do you think about your future? Um, in that you know, there are very few, if any, part-time jobs that have a clear trajectory to them. Like, what is the next step you're going to take? You're not, you know, a, a, a typical 1950s, 1960s worker who knows, you know, you're in an office and you have a certain trajectory over the course of the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah, maybe you'll get a couple runs higher if you're a high performer, or, you know, highly political. Um, but, you know, if not, then uh, you sort of, you have a set path and you've got your pension and you go home and retire. Well, these, these workers have no idea what's next. And, you know, what we see specifically like with our income tracker is that, a large, a large number of these workers, I'd say the majority, um, they, they're working to pay the bills that are due next week or next month, and they don't really have a clear sense of how that looks on a historical or forward-looking basis from an earnings perspective. Uh, and I'm talking about the, the sort of low to moderate income you know, side of the, the future of work workforce here, right? I'm not talking about you know, a, attorneys and accountants who have you know, their, own, their own 1099 businesses. So the, the, these workers, you know, they're, they're focused on making ends meet and they're focused on achieving their financial goals, but there's no clarity on you know, where am I going to go next to move up the ladder. And so I think from our perspective, it's first off, how do you, how do you define those current puzzle pieces? Um, you know, when do you, when do you work for each of those current puzzle pieces in order to, you know, optimize your outcome? And then how the heck are you going to approach, you know, replacing those puzzle pieces over time, either with additional pieces or again, replacing the whole puzzle, um, to put you in a better, better, in better position. And I think that's one of the sort of biggest overhanging challenges for this workforce is, you know, how, how are you going to move up that income ladder? Yep. No, it definitely makes sense. And I'm, I'm curious if you look at kind of the demographics of, the the workers that are on your platform today you know you mm -hmm. mentioned your dad being a retiree and then you mentioned you know other individuals that are kind of augmenting you know their income uh with multiple part-time jobs and is it is it truly kind of a very diverse population of workers that are on your your platform or um is there kind of more of a, a typical worker that you see or yeah, it's 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 still early days for us, right? We we just crossed 100,000 registered users a couple of days ago because we've only really been sort of live out of beta for about a month now. But what we're seeing thus far is that it is a it is a large cross section of the economy. Um, you know, I, I like to make sort of this this equation uh, that I I know I've spoken with uh, with your team about before of you know the sort of comparison that we've seen of our users to the film Love Actually, um, you know, British film. Partially, you know, because there there uh, are very few films I actually see, um, and partially because it actually kind of hit home, um, where you have in that film, you know, people that range from a a migrant worker from Portugal who doesn't speak you know English who moves to an English speaking territory, um, and is working to to just survive, um, you know, as a I believe cleaning staff in that film, and all the way up to the prime minister of the UK who were suffering from the same challenges, and those challenges are relationship-driven. Well, you know, as we get to further understand our users and as we've conducted user discovery across the country for the last year, it's clear that, you know, this is an everybody problem, right? This is, you know, you, you can be anyone from any walk of life. Everyone's got a friend or a family member who's struggling with an income shortfall and they're not able to achieve a financial goal. Some of those planned, some of those unplanned. Um, and, uh, you know, as a result of that, you know, we, we are seeing a tremendously broad um, and diverse user base. I'd say our most active users right now are those that are sort of mid-30s to late-40s um, and tend to be, 
you know, not as much the sort of very young, you know, post-high school, post-college age individuals who, if they need um, to save, if they're having uh, financial challenges, can perhaps take in an extra roommate. They can, you know, cut the bills, not go out as much, go live with their parents for a while. Here we're talking about individuals who have a mortgage, who have a family, um, who have education and, and other child-related matters to pay for, who have to put food on the table for their children, um, and who just simply, you know, cutting some you know, monthly expenses is not going to solve the problem. And so for them, they really need to find other ways and better ways to generate income in order to mitigate those challenges. Yep. Well, first off, congrats on the 100,000 uh, user milestone. That That's impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, I definitely love the reference to the movie Love Actually. And I think that's uh, definitely the first time the movie's been referenced on this yeah. podcast and maybe the only time, but uh, it, no, it does okay, make sense. Right. Like it is, it is really a diverse um, kind of cross section. And I'm curious, like, this is one thing that we think about a little bit at Bunker is kind of the, the push pull of this. So if you think about like your platform, you have kind of the supply and demand side um, or like a traditional marketplace has the supply and demand side. And we hear quite a bit that the demand side um, or rather the supply side, the, the workers themselves aren't hard or difficult to find um, because ultimately people want to work. And I'm just kind of curious on your impression of that. Do you think that there is just a lot of untapped potential in even getting the word out more, uh, right, to more workers that aren't even aware that they could augment their income easily um, or they could you know, uh, be a retiree that, that, that could work. And I'm just kind of curious, like in your opinion, like where are we? Um, and to use a baseball analogy, you know, like first inning, ninth inning, kind of where, where do you think we are in that spectrum? From my perspective, we're still in batting practice. Um, you know, we, we are not, our, our low hanging fruit today is not the existing good worker. Um, you know, they tend to sort of already have things set for themselves. They understand how they're going to sp split their day, at least in terms of the full-time dead worker. For us, you know, if you look at the future of work participants, you know, you can look at the numbers. It's anywhere between two and five million Americans are actually spending their time or a reasonable amount of time doing some type of quote-unquote gig platform work. And you've got another, again, depending on whose study, you know, roughly, let's say, 50 million plus um, who are part-time workers, um, who are individuals that have full-time work that aren't achieving their, their financial uh, requirements. And so, yeah, there's a massive portion of the population that still is not clear on, you know, can, that they can augment their income, that there are things that they can do that are going to align with their schedule, that there are things that they can do. Nothing wrong with, you know, Uber and Lyft, but there's things that they can do aside from ride-sharing, right? And so the awareness amongst those individuals uh, or the, the target potential market is still incredibly low. And I think we've got a long, long way to go. And I think whether it be for ride sharing, delivery, pet services, healthcare services, you know, childcare, whatever type of on-demand work and good work, you know, there, there's a, there's a long way to go. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's really like a generational movement, you know, and like changes like this, just if you use analogs for other types of changes, just take time. Um, and in some cases, uh, generations. And so kind of the macro environment, um, and, and I guess we're both biased in this view, building companies that are focused on solving problems, but I think the macro environment is, uh, is pretty positive. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, so if, you, if we fast forward the clock, let's say five or 10 years, what do you think success looks like in the gig economy? 
um, and, and maybe answer that question more from the perspective of the worker. So as an example, is it finding enough work to make a living? Um, is it finding work that you're really passionate about? Um, or maybe just being able to find a really rewarding kind of work-life balance or just so something else, I guess, what comes to mind when you think of that question from the worker's perspective? To me, what immediately comes to mind is the lifting of the employer's view of ownership of the worker. Um, and I think that's central to this in that for anyone to be able to retain a worker who is you know, in this target market of having multiple forms of income over the foreseeable future, they're going to have to be very open and quite frankly, proactive in terms of helping these workers become more financially healthy. And that is going to include you know, putting them with the right insurance, putting them in the right type of financial services. But from our perspective and selfishly, most important to us is they're going to need to understand that they need to do other work as well. And whatever mechanisms need to be put in place for them, we obviously help, hope to support some of those. So you know, systems that will enable those workers to be able to hop from work to work, um, specifically when you're talking about you know, unskilled and low-skilled workers, um, and do so in a very streamlined, seamless fashion um, is, it, it, to me, at the heart of this. Because the biggest challenge that we continue hearing today from workers who are working more than one type of job is it is so challenging for them to be able to align their schedules and that you know their schedules are, especially if they're working any type of part-time or full-time work, um, in many instances, they vary, they're irregular. As a result of that, it's very hard for them to align other types of work. Um, and a lot of that is due to just, you know, when you sit down with HR organizations, there are far too many corporations, they still view the employee, even if it's a part-time employee, as owned by that employer. And I think that that view really needs to, to lift and employers need to support and embrace the fact that you know, workers are going to be more sticky, they're going to be more happy, they're going to be more productive on the job if they're more financially healthy. And the only way for that to happen is for them to work with the employee to help them be able to you know, generate the sort of full income that they need to be able to aggregate in order to, uh, to, you know, to achieve their financial objectives, or at least be you know, financially not tremendously unhealthy. So um, I, I would say to me, that's the number one thing that comes to mind. Yep, no, that makes sense. And I think going off of that a little bit, I'm really curious uh, for your answer to this question. And I honestly don't know if I really have an answer for it. So it's probably an unfair question. But um, I know in traditional employment, we often think of success as upward mobility. So in other words, you started a company and then you move up, you know, kind of the ranks of that company. And do you think the concept of upward mobility transfers, you know, to the gig economy and I guess, are there or should there be, you know, different ways of showcasing uh, improvement or, you know, career progression um, in, in a particular line of work? Uh, conceptually, there should be. And I don't know, again, if I have a clear answer for you either on this. It's something that we do think about a lot. Um, for us today, when you think about progression um, or you think about, um, you know, upward mobility, it really comes down to acquiring valuable experience or valuable skills that are going to be translatable into work that you're currently not in that is going to provide for a higher level of income um, than what you're generating today. Um, and today, the way we think about that is looking at the work that you're doing, not just at the wage that you're making, um, but also at the, uh, the value of that experience. And is that experience that you are building 
going to be transferable into another form of work or into another role where there is the prospect of upward mobility. And if not, you need to think about either A, shifting to work that is going to provide for the value of that experience, or B, um, looking at skills that can be acquired, um, not necessarily going out and getting a four-year degree, but you know, skills that can be acquired during the time that you're able to invest and allocate um, based on already having, in many instances, a heavy workload to be able to, um, to, be able to obtain that upward mobility based on that, that new skill acquisition. And that's a very challenging thing for someone to do, especially one who's working, you know, has two, three, four different, different forms of work. And so, you know, certainly there's going to need to be tremendous support, um, I think, from the employers or the gig platforms themselves. Um, plus, I think from third parties that are going to have to fill the gap. I, I know, you know, the work that Guild Education is doing uh, with Lyft and Walmart and others, I think that's great. I think it certainly needs to extend far beyond four-year university education. But I think that, that type of business and that type of initiative is, is, is certainly the, the, the right track and what needs to be pursued. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I guess, I mean, theoretical, and I'm kind of a free markets uh, type of person, you would think that, you know, really the gig economy and the future of work just democratizes work in a way that uh, workers just have a lot more flexibility than they might have had 20, 30, 40 years ago when, you know, the path was you started a company and then you work your way up. And like, there are some advantages to that. Uh, but ultimately, you just have less flexibility, I guess, in that environment than, a worker would today where you can you can really kind of flex your time across multiple different arrangements multiple different companies and to your point like gain a lot of valuable experience um that way so yeah, that makes sense yeah it does and i think you know far i think far too often the the sort of the shiny light today is is pointed on the gig economy as being sort of a, a cause um for uh you know income challenges and, and from my perspective it has much more to do with just the fact that uh, you know the, the the proportion of low wage jobs um, that have you know grown specifically since the financial crisis, but certainly since like two thousand and one, uh, you know, in the U.S. and that you know jobs are becoming much more highly specialized, and to the extent that you haven't acquired those specialized skills, um, you're going to quickly fall into a low wage category. Um, and you know I think the digital economy, if anything, is giving people flexibility. Um, in addition to giving them the ability to, to, to work as many hours as they need to, um, hopefully not too many, uh, but to fill those gaps that, to the extent that they were working those, in, working those in traditional forms of work, again, be it restaurant and retail, they just wouldn't be able to acquire enough hours in order to make ends meet. Yep, well, that makes sense. Um, so the last question that I have for you, which um, I always like asking this question, um, just because it's it's pretty varied in terms of the answers that I get. But so you're building a company in this space. And if you look back kind of through your journey, what has been really the biggest surprise uh, for you, either in building the company or maybe assumptions that you had about, you know, the gig economy or the future of work? And I'm just kind of curious, anything that comes to mind? A lot of surprises, and I think that's a good thing. I think that means we're we're learning. So I think you know the biggest surprise I, I would say is is the diversity of the workforce, um, and you know the fact that our users today you know range from you know as I talked about someone who's perhaps just out of university and you know wasn't able to find their dream job, or someone who never graduated from university. Um, and who, as a result, is um, you know is working multiple jobs um, in order to pay the bills, 
Um, you know, you go from there to, you know, the single mother who's perhaps in their, their 30s, um, who's working to make ends meet and support their children, who needs extra work um, sort of to, to supplement whatever they're currently doing, could be a school teacher uh, who needs to do online tutoring on the side or, or something that, that she's able to do from home during evening hours. Um, you know, to the, uh, the uni- you know, we have an individual who we, we met with in Chicago who works in admissions at a large university in Chicago um, and who, as a result of being in a reasonably high-cost living environment, uh, is unable to save for a down payment on a home. Um, and he wants to buy their family their first home. So uh, he's working and you know, uh, graduated from a top university, but you know, doing supplemental did work on nights and weekends in order to save for his down payment. All the way up to my dad, right? The retiree who's um, uh, who's supplementing their retirement income and doesn't have sufficient retirement income, which unfortunately the trend is moving more and more and more in that direction. So I think the, the biggest surprise um, has just been the diversity um, of this prospective market, and um, again, how many of us are going to be uh, going to be you know we're going to feel it, and either ourselves directly or or touched by friends or family members, and I think that's. That's definitely been the, the biggest of many surprises. <clears throat> yep, no, that makes sense. And uh, so before we close things off here, Adam, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, share with our listeners? Uh, no, I think um, you know, we're, we're very excited to be, to be a part of this overall market. Um, you know, equally excited to you know, have uh, the ability to see uh, businesses like Bunker uh, and others who are building and developing to, um, you know, help this workforce succeed um, in this new reality that we're facing. Um, you know, I think I still too, still hear far too many individuals focused on, you know, working to try to turn around uh, the progression of, you know, quote unquote, good work. I think, you know, from our perspective, uh, you know, it's 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 a bus that isn't turning around uh, too too far down the road. And so I think, you know, the focus of all of us needs to continue being on how do we, you know, create the best possible outcome, um, given the realities that we're facing. So I'm um, very excited to be a part of it. Um, hope we can uh, hope we can support as many workers as possible and, um, you know, work with work with partners like yourselves and really appreciate being a part of this today. Yeah, likewise. And like you said, it's uh, batting practice. So we're really, really early days um, and there's plenty of potential and kind of opportunity around the corner. So it is indeed. Let, let's, let's hope all of us perform as well when it's game time. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Cool. And so thanks so much again for Adam to taking the time to share with us his experiences on the Ready, Set, Work podcast. Um, And of course, thank you to our listeners. Uh, We appreciate you tuning in and hope you can join us again on our next episode of Ready, Set, Work. We love to hear from our listeners. If you have ideas, thoughts for guests, or suggestions for future podcast topics, please reach out. Tweet us at BunkerHQ using the hashtag ReadySetWork or email us directly at hello at buildbunker.com. All right, back to work.